it's always a good time to see the Packers lose. And welcome back to the Shaving Points Podcast, the number one podcast on the internet, hosted by two bald men. My name is Jayden May. You can find me on Twitter at jmay56, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Quentin Crisco. How are we doing tonight, Quentin? Doing good, Jay. My name is Quentin Crisco. You can find me on Twitter at Stats, and go check out our website. We have a little college basketball model. Over the last two weeks is 97 and 65 and up 13 units. Only at shaving-points.com, folks. Go check it out. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, big basketball days. And then, of course, when the tournament comes, you'll get all the picks for the tournament days. And last year, the model just went absolute berserk. We'll get into that probably after Selection Sunday. How about that Super Bowl, man? Heck yeah, man. We did good. We did good. You want to do a quick recap of where we ended up for the season, all of that, what the model did, what we did? Jay, you ended the season at 67 and 59, up nine units. I ended the season at a flat 70 and 70, up a half unit. Thank you, Patrick Mahomes. The model ended up at 124 and 100 plus 15 units. 15 units on that model, boy. This week, we're going to talk about some of the best coaches and teams against the spread. Yeah, so the best individual seasons against the spread since 2003. At the end of this, we're going to go through the top five and actually ran numbers in the top 25 teams since 2003 against the spread and tried to number crunch my way down to a formula of teams that you might want to consider as, you know, feisty teams that are going to come out and surprise people next year. A team who could be, you know, that that dog who's always backdoor covering or who's coming from behind to to create unexpected victories over and over. Yeah, like the Lions. Straight chaos. Yeah, like the Lions. Let's jump into it. So first up here, we had three different teams tied for fourth. First one is the awful, awful Green Bay Packers who we hate. 2007. Brett Favre's swan song, his last dance, some might say. Packers went 13-3 and this that season. They were 12-3-1 against the spread. This is Mike McCarthy's second season in, in the, as an NFL head coach in Green Bay. Brett Favre's 15th season. On average, they were two-point favorites in every game. And on average, they won by nine points. Which was really pretty good. Pretty, pretty big departure from what they saw the year before when they went 8-8. Eight and eight. On average, they were three-point dogs. On average, they lost by four. I mean, and the next season, you see that they kind of went back to the same thing. It was almost kind of like a fluke season. Yeah, Rodgers, uh, people forget, he took a couple of years to get kind of knock the rest off and get things rolling there in, in Green Bay. What else people forget is like how highly regarded Mike McCarthy was whenever he took over that job. McCarthy was considered a bigger asset to that team than Aaron Rodgers was like for at least like four or five years. I mean, you can go back to old sound clips of people talking like, Mike McCarthy can get this done with anybody. Like if, if, if Rogers wants to get out, he can leave. Like that's how highly like Mike McCarthy was regarded early in his time in Green Bay, which is crazy to think about now with all the shit that he gets as the Dallas head coach. But I mean, all he's done in Dallas is have three straight 12 win seasons. So let me point this out for you with that. McCarthy came in there, 37 year old Brett Favre, whose first year was not very good. In McCarthy's first year was not very good for McCarthy. I mean, they really were in a stacked roster, but the next season they go 13 and three. They have the fourth highest scoring offense in the NFL, the second most yards in the NFL. And you know who they were doing it with? 
Ryan Grant was their running back. 32-year-old Donald Driver. Some 24-year-old kid named Greg Jennings who no one knew about. But, I mean, honestly, though, outside of that, they really they didn't have a whole lot. And Greg Jennings wasn't a dude yet. And Driver looked like he was on the back nine of his career. No, I remember that season. It was the year before. It was like, okay, or Farf is basically done. And then they have that season, and it's like... Laser eyes. Yeah, Rodgers came in against the Cowboys. What was it, like halftime or whatever? Whenever uh, yeah. went down. And you're like, okay, so this is definitely a guy, but how do you move on from a guy that's playing this well? I mean, they made the right move. They won the Super Bowl a couple years later. Rodgers threw 28 passes that year for 218 yards and a touchdown. So, yeah, that had to be that year. Yeah, I remember it very well. I mean, it, it sucked. <laughs> so. Yeah, and then also on the defensive side that year, they had some, some guys just coming out of nowhere. I mean, Charles Woodson had a good year for him, four interceptions. I always mess this dude's name up ever since I was a kid. Uh, Kabir Gabaja Bamila? Gabaja Bamila. I'm probably butchering that name, but he had 10 sacks that year. And then Aaron Campman also threw up 12 sacks for him. And Aaron Campman kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> he had two monster seasons for Green Bay right there that just kind of fell off after that. Who, who knocked him out of the playoffs that year? Let's see. So, yeah, they were the one seeds. They got the bye, the bye uh, in the wild card. And then they beat Seattle 42-20 to 20 in the second round. Then the Giants beat them at Lambeau, which was a glorious day. That was the Tom Coughlin looks like a, like, corpse. He was so cold. Yeah. That was the negative 17 game or whatever. Yeah. It's always a good time to see the Packers lose in the cold in the playoffs. Yeah, at home. It's just, it's a beautiful thing if you've never witnessed it. I highly suggest it. You can almost witness it every year because they never get out of the playoffs. Yeah, but they got to get a home playoff game to see it. That's true. Tied with them, also 12-3-1 against the spread. The the first year of the Jim Harbaugh 49ers. That's a squad. (laughs) Dude, I still have nightmares about this defense. (laughs) Like, you were just helpless. There was nothing you could do. They were going to destroy. It, it's crazy how many um, teams the 49ers organizations put together in the last 15 years, uh, defensively and offensively. They just can't get over the hump. Like they've been to two Super Bowls, um, been pretty good year in and year out for the past 15 years. Uh, they had a couple years in there where they kind of dipped a little bit. For the most part, I mean, they've been. They've been in it. They had a great coach in Harbaugh, and they let him go, and then Shanahan falls into their lap. They have Chip Kelly for a year. Yeah. And then Shanahan walks over there, and it's just crazy how much success this organization's had. Historically great organization as well. Just can't seem to ever put it all together and win the big game, which is crazy. Let me set some background on this. 2010, 49ers. Mike Singletary's the head coach. Going into the season, it looks like he's kind of set the boat back on the right path after they were kind of flailing before that. And Mike Singletary started to, you know, he had his rant with, with Vernon Davis, you know, can't win with him. With him. Can't, yeah, can't play with him. There was just a complete meltdown between the locker room and him. And they go out and hire a guy who's a bit more mellow, a bit more relaxed. Also a former Chicago Bear. Jim Harbaugh. I don't know if you can describe him as mellow, but yeah. 
I mean, evidently, compared to Mike Singletary. <laughs> He's an intense dude in his own right. Maybe just not like vocally or verbally but like, no he's he's pretty he's definitely very intense he goes out and puts together one of the best coordinating staffs probably ever like greg roman at offensive coordinator vic fangio a defensive coordinator like that's a yeah. squad it rivals those uh shanahan shanahan uh redskin team or er, like early 2000 like where they had it was like sean mcveigh kyle shanahan the lafleur brothers like Basically, every every name of a who's who and offensive coaching right now is on that Redskins staff, and they didn't keep a single one of them. <laughs> now, coming into this season, the 20, 2011 season, which is you know when they were 12-3-1 against the spread, on average, they were three-point favorites, but they won by nine points over the course of the regular season. Coming into that season, they were plus 5,000 to win the Super Bowl, and their over-under was only seven and a half, and they won 13. That's crazy. So with with the last team, the the Packers that we were just on, their over under was only seven and a half. So we start to see a trend here. You look for the middling teams that could surprise, right? Yeah, that could could step up and perform. Yeah, I mean that's usually where it is. Is like the teams that's like worst case scenario, they're going to be like middle of the pack. If everything comes together, they can they got a they got a squad squad. You look at the Packers last time. Their strength of schedule rank I think was twenty one. This one's thirty two. So I mean sometimes the schedule breaks your way. That's another trend I'm keying in on. Fourth and third place schedules that heavily dictates how good the teams that you're not heavily but the most heavy indicator they raise of how how talented the teams are. That play. Yeah, it, it dictates what three games three of your games are against other third or fourth place teams in the previous year and how many how many guys do you think on this team had over a thousand yards rushing or receiving I'm trying to think about that team so you had alex smith vernon davis was frank gore there crabtree probably none i mean frank gore probably had like eight to nine hundred crabtree probably had eight to nine hundred vernon davis probably had six seven hundred and don't you sleep on Frank Gore like that. Dude had 1,300 yards. Oh, did he? I mean, I knew he was he was always good in that era. Like, I remember, like, fantasy-wise. But for some reason, I was thinking, like, a lot of times, like, the yards weren't there. But, like, the production was always there. But that was it. Crabtree had 880 yards. Davis had almost 800. Kendall Hunter had almost 700. And that, I mean, that was their offense right there. Yeah. Now, Frank Gore was a beast. I mean... It's crazy that in 2011, people were talking about Frank Gore being old. And then he had like six more years of productivity after this. Yeah. I mean, he was 28 here. He was, he was, he was exiting his prime in 2011 and then played another decade. <laughs> yeah. And he was, he was also injured early in his career. And then like people were like, oh, he's injury prone. And then he didn't get injured for like the next 14 years. The biggest thing here to me with this season was. This was Alex Smith's redemption, right? He had he had been just couldn't stay on the field when he was on the field, wasn't playing that. Yeah, well. it was always something, and then that was finally when they were like Alex Smith kind of started putting it together and became like a a good, competent quarterback. Because like for the longest time, it was like one thing after another. Like either he couldn't stay on the field, or I mean the production wasn't there, but he never really had a whole lot of help either like they were hiring defensive guys as head coaches i mean this was like the first time he was like put in a position to succeed with like a coach that knows offense and he had what three or four years before kaepernick came in and then goes to kc and has some good years like he really turned it 
or, uh, two years with Harbaugh before Kaepernick took or a year and a half with Harbaugh before Kaepernick took over. If we think back to what we saw with the Packers one, right? Brett Favre looked washed. Wintola was low, and he surpasses everyone's expectations. Alex Smith, everyone had given up on him. They bring in a QB guy with Harbaugh. Harbaugh drills him, and he steps up. So that surprise QB performance seems to be another factor here, I think. This is kind of trending towards uh, what, what we could see out of the Denver Broncos coming up. I think I think Denver's a candidate. Um, I forget who I, I made the graphic two days ago, so we'll have to see. It might, it'll surprise me a little. But this 49ers defense, though, I, I got to talk a little bit about this. Is that like Bowen and Navarro Bowman? Aldon Smith with 14 sacks, Justin Smith, and then Justin Smith with eight sacks from an interior D-line spot was just filth. He's one of the most underrated players I've ever watched. Like, he deserves so much more credit. He was unstoppable. And then they had Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis, both all-pro middle linebackers. This defense was just... I remember watching... I think it was in 2012, the Bears 49ers on primetime and just feeling just helpless. Like I just, it, it was like they, they can't, they can't do this. I can't watch this, but I need to watch it, but I can't. And it was just, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. That 49ers defense was just unstoppable. Yeah, they were filthy. Yeah, I remember, I remember that defense well. And I mean, it's kind of like their defense today. I mean, you look at, Fred Warner and Nick Bosa and some of the, like some of their guys like in the defensive backfield and I mean it it's crazy like their their team right now is almost built identical to their team then it's it's wild. Let's go ahead and move on to a real surprise because you know so far Brett Favre. Okay, that's not that surprising. Harbaugh 49ers. I could have guessed that Andy Dalton and the 2015 Cincinnati Bengals. Man. Marvin Lewis stuck around that Bengal organization for so long and like double digit wins over and over again. And they were just like, they they could just never be great. But they, I don't, I remember like they were just always so good. Dude, this is one of the weirder ones because you look at their strength of schedule. Like 2015, they had one of the hardest schedules in the NFL. <laughs> And they still went 12-3-1 against the spread. Big Ben was still very prominent at that time. Joe Flacco doing his thing for the Ravens and got to play the Browns twice, which was nice. But like outside of that, I mean, that division is nasty. Yeah, it was, but the Bengals were nasty in the regular season. Oh, yeah. Andy Dalton had himself a, a nice little run there, man. and His big year. I mean, he everyone knew he was good enough, but... That year, 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions in only 13 games. Again, QB overperforming is pointing to this. So I think that speaks loudly to what to look for. The Marvin Lewis, Andy Dalton era is like the greatest example of do you try to make it work with an above average quarterback or is it better just to completely rebuild? They were winning double digit seasons every like year after year. And then as soon as they get to the playoffs, they couldn't get it done. I mean, no, that's exactly what their recipe was, was the build around the okay quarterback. You're right. Like, as I sit here and think about it, top five defense in the back of, like, Geno Atkins. And A.J. Green. I mean, people people forget how good A.J. Green was. Yeah, in the most run-heavy offense in the NFL mm-hmm. with 
Gio Bernard and uh, Jeremy Hill both going over 700 yards oh, apiece. Talk about talk then, about a fantasy guy. Jeremy Hill was like every single year was yeah. like the guy. He's like going to break out this year and just never did. I always took Gio. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then, like you said, AJ Green off that play action, the run heavy offense, just bombing it. To it. it was the the exact recipe of hide hide your quarterback. Away. They just kept trying to find a tight end. They took they took Jermaine Gresham in the top ten. A couple years later, they took Tyler Eifert in the first. This was round. Eifert's big season in 2015. This was the season where he got 600 yards and 13 touchdowns. I remember that 13 touchdowns. Yeah, they took they took a tight end in I think the first top fifteen twice in like a six year span. It was like <laughs> goodness gracious, man. Oh, Carlos Dunlap. He was Dunlap and Atkins were just Gino Gino Atkins. That. Gino Atkins was so nasty. I mean, you look at some of these guys on this team that just like lived in mediocrity for so long and then they missed the Joe Burrow window by like a year and a half, two years, and it's like I almost forgot about Reggie Nelson. With eight interceptions for that. Goodness gracious, yeah. Like that's a stupid number of interceptions. And I, I, I don't I really don't remember Reggie Nelson that well as a player. No. Like, I, you said his name out. Stupid number I thought, of interceptions. I thought you were about to give me a, a sack member when you said his name. <laughs> Hackman Jones had a sack for him. Hackman Jones, that's another guy, man. He's so highly skilled and just like could never stay on the field or like put it together i mean bounced all over the league and it was always like oh i mean like he's really turned it around now and just never did <laughs> moving on we're gonna get another all-time great quarterback on this one along with an all-time great coach number three on this list like when i saw the patriots i thought for sure it was gonna be the 07 season because like i know they were heavy favorites in those games but it's like they were winning big like week after week that year like i was i was shocked that's the beauty of like trying to find the uh the team that's so great against the spread it has to be just bad enough that vegas isn't adjusting enough right it has to be like just not convincing enough and 2016 patriots the the 28 to 3 year in the super bowl and like this team was not Tom Brady was just on deflate gate, like mass exodus. He just wanted to torch the earth. Like those, those prime, like Brady, Brady years, like what, let's say like 2011 to 2017, Vegas couldn't figure out the Patriots because like they would lose everybody. They would have nobody. Like it was like Gronk against the world. And then like Edelman steps up or like all of a sudden uh, they get a Chandler Jones who like has a monster season or like, those teams were so weird to bet, and then they would always win. It was like, just bet on the Patriots and you'll win. <laughs> Jimmy G started two games this year. So the Patriots went 13-3 against the spread. Jimmy G started two games. Rookie Jacoby Brissett started two games. And then Tom Brady came back, and Gronk only played eight games. Yeah, yeah, I remember that the Gronk injury that year. Over under 15 touchdowns for LeGarrette one in 2016. I don't remember much about that offense 18 touchdowns for Laguerre. it's crazy like they 1160 yards wasn't that the same year they had that like cyrus jones guy rush 
for like 300 yards and four touchdowns and then get cut the next week because he was late to practice? Uh, I don't see his name on here, but I mean, there's a long list of Bill Belichick, like locked running backs in his closet. <laughs> but no, I mean, they had they had Julian Edelman going for that 1,100 yards. Then it was James White, a 30-year-old Martellus Bennett, and Chris Hogan. Like, that was their offense. People forget that he used to play lacrosse. They never bring that up in the broadcast. Nope, they, ne- they never mention it. it drives me insane. <laughs> Lax bros everywhere. Furious. But, like, you, you pause for a second. You take a look at this coaching staff. I mean, this was peak Belichick coaching staff. He was head coach, obviously. Josh McDaniels at OC. Matt Patricia at DC. Brian Dable was the tight ends coach. Brian Flores was the linebackers coach. Joe Judge was the special teams coach. Like, it was just a lot of smart dudes in there. No matter what you think of them as head coaches, you got to say they're pretty good at their job as positioning coaches and coordinators. It's crazy the amount of, like, guys that can contribute to a squad like that. They try to be Belichick when they leave, and then they realize, like, only Belichick can be Belichick so good in that Belichick system like every position's like always doing the right thing like nobody's ever out of position like that's where your position coach and assistant coaches come in and like they had that team like so well coached and then for some reason or another like when they go off on their own they just they just couldn't get it done like I'll give Brian Flores a pass like those Dolphins teams were pretty solid but outside of him like or I guess Dayball's doing his thing I don't I don't see Dayball trying to be Bill Belichick when like most Bill Belichick disciples leave somewhere they they think they can replicate success by like doing it the Bill Belichick way and it's impossible I mean I, th- I think Dable has seen it fail working for a Bill Belichick disciple because he followed Eric Mangini to the Browns or was it the Jets one of the two and he saw it not work so I think that's kind of he has that going for him yeah, and you also got to have the confidence of like, I'm going to do it my way. Like, I, I've seen what works, but yeah, you got to be yourself. Like, grown men can really like sniff out authenticity pretty quickly. Like, again, though, we see a team whose quarterback wasn't supposed to be as good as he was, right? Supposed to miss four games, didn't have the weapons. Like, looking back, it's like hard to say that because we know how great Tom Brady continued to be from that point this is probably like right at the start of like oh is it is, is brady wash he's gonna miss four games like that was really like when 2014 ish is like when it really started to pick up like traction is when are we gonna see the end of tom brady when is he gonna start regressing and then like you would have one bad game or like oh we're here we're at the end of tom brady then he would come out the next week and like throw for 400 yards and end the season with 4500 yards and 32 touchdowns and you're like oh i guess he's still around i i think i remember this season as being like all everyone i'd listened to like all the analysts and stuff acted every week like the game hinged on whether gronk was gonna play or not because he missed half the season and it's like looking at this it didn't matter (laughs) whether he was there or not yeah, they were six and a half point favorites on average, uh, won by right at 12 points. And yeah, 14 and two record, 13 and three against the spread. Just stupid numbers. Like, and like you said, I mean, they 
They started a, a third string quarterback two of those weeks and still went 13 and three against the spread. Usually when you see a team with a record like 14 and two, you expect what? Five, six pro bowlers, at least one, maybe two all pros on the team, right? Three pro bowlers in Tom Brady, Dante Hightower, and Devin McCourty. And that was it. No all pros. And they went 14 and two. 13 and three gets the spread. I guess Matt Ryan was all pro quarterback that year. He won the MVP. Yeah, he was. Uh, and then Gronk didn't play enough. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, they were they were really like the Patriots for the longest time were just really good at having above average players all over the field. Like they didn't really have any superstars. They didn't have any weak spots either. Everybody was just solid. I just do not understand how when LeGarrette once scores 18 touchdowns, he doesn't make a pro. Yeah, that's crazy. Let's take a look at some Adrian Peterson Vikings from 2015. This is the uh, the Minnesota miracle year, and it was a miracle of a year as the Vikings went 13 and three against the spread. I thought the Minnesota miracle was 17. Oh, you know what? They lost. You're right. They lost in the first round this year, of 2015. I'm sorry, folks. I got mistaken. I got too excited. Is that is that the Case Keenum year? Is that the Brett Favre year? No, this is the Teddy Bridgewater year. Teddy Bridgewater. Okay. Oh, how did I mess I was, that up? I was about to say, like, because the year Case Keenum did his thing. I mean, Thielen was huge. Diggs was huge. Like, yeah, no, this is the Teddy man. Bridgewater. This is the Teddy uh, Teddy Two Gloves. Teddy always covers. Teddy always covers. Yeah, Spreddy Bridgewater, man. Uh, Teddy Two Gloves, like, can't beat him, man. Uh, that So that was the offseason he broke his leg, I guess? Uh, yeah, the next, the offseason from 15 to 16. Dude, I remember he had such a pretty deep ball, like, whatever he would, like, what was that, probably his second or third year in the league at that point? This was his second year in the league. Yeah. But, yeah, no, this team, I mean, it was Stephon Diggs' breakout year, like, 700 20 yards for a fifth round pick is a breakout year. Outside, it was AP. AP ran this thing. Dude, AP, like, I don't think we'll ever see a running back take over a, a, a team like AP did for what is that seven year stretch where it's like, as long as AP gets going, like, the Vikings are a force. Like, he was just so unstoppable. Tears his ACL and comes back and rushes for like what two thousand yards? Like yeah, comes back like earlier than anybody ever has, and just like it's nothing. Eight month turnaround, and he's like, I'll just go for two thousand real quick. Like ain't no thing. Dude, he's incredible. Really, I mean, Mike Zimmer was working some magic with this defense back because it was really just Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter was doing some stuff, but he wasn't even starting games yet. Oh. That- Zimmer was a freaking wizard with those mid-2010s teams uh, with those Vikings. You look at this team coming into the season, they were plus 4,000 to win the Super Bowl, and their over-under was eight wins. Go out and win 11. On average, they were dogs. They were plus 0.2 on average on the season, but they won by an average of four points in every game they played. I'm looking at this defense, and like Harrison Smith was there, made a Pro Bowl. Anthony Barr made a Pro Bowl. But there's no one who really jumps out at you production-wise. 
outside of Everson Griffin at 10 and a half sacks, you had Daniil Hunter at six, Tom Johnson at five and a half. And Tom Johnson sounds like a batting created player if I ever heard one. No disrespect to Tom Johnson. I'm sure you were very good at the NFL. Brian Robinson, five sacks. Eric Kendricks started 11 games, got four sacks, racked up a good amount of tackles. But like there was so much young talent on this defense and none of it was really that well known yet which is really kind of cool to look at. And another thing that I'm just kind of noticing in this as I'm, as I'm thinking it through a little bit more. So 2007 Packers, they ran the football a lot. 2011 49ers, they ran the football a whole heck of a lot. 2015 Bengals were one of the most run heavy teams in the NFL. 2016 Patriots, Garrett Blunt had 1200 yards at 3.9 yards per carry. They sure pounded the rock. And the 2015 Vikings leaned heavily, heavily, heavily on Adrian Peterson. So a run-heavy offense and an overperforming quarterback compared to what the league expects of them seems to be like a ball control team is a good bet for it against the spread team, it seems like. At least that's that's what I'm seeing here. Because I mean, looking at that, these Vikings had Mike Wallace go for 480 yards. Mike Wallace was a really good receiver, but by this point in his career, he just kind of wasn't the same guy. This Teddy Bridgewater offense wasn't super dynamic. They just, they pounded the rock, took some deep shots, asked Cordero Patterson to return a few kicks here and there, and leaned on their defense. And they were consistently barely favorites or barely dogs in every game and just went out there and kept winning against actually a pretty good strength of schedule. Strength of schedule is kind of a surprisingly not strong indicator within these top five teams against the spread since, what was it, 2003? Because these Vikings played the 14th ranked strength schedule. It's not like they were, you know, playing nobodies. That's a pretty solid schedule that they played. Um, and then as a Bears fan, just love to see in 2016, they, they bounced back to life a little bit. And, Took a step down. Unfortunately, Teddy got hurt. Um, but I don't want to see the Vikings do too. I got, got to represent the orange and blue. Um, and this was really just the start for Mike Zimmer. I mean, he had a he had a nice career there in Minnesota. What five six years at the helm? Oh yeah, he he was uh, running that team for a good little bit, and he's another one of those guys where it's like. He, he was always good enough, but like just never could never like get over that hump. Yeah. Wanna wanna get the drum roll for the, the, the ultimate winner here? Drew Breeze and the 2004 San Diego Superchargers. Marty Schottenheimer. Fun team. This is a fun team. I remember as a kid, I was like 14 years old watching this team. Just like, love it. So, early LT, pre-shoulder injury, Drew Brees, Marty Schottenheimer, legend of the game. The, those Chargers teams are so fun. That That's another, like, franchise that kind of has replicated. This was Quintus. This was like, where the hell did Drew Brees come here? Like, he went from 11 touchdowns and 15 interceptions to 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions in one offseason. 
They had a, a nasty defensive lineman, didn't they? What was his name? Was that 2004? The guy who did the, like the lights out celebration? Oh no, that was uh, later. That was that was a year or two later. Okay. What, what was, was his name? name? Remember? Sean. Yeah. Sean something. Merriman. Yeah, Sean Merriman. Mm-hmm. I remember I'd get uh, so burnt up because. Lance Briggs wouldn't make a Pro Bowl or something, and Sean Merriman would make it over him. And I'd just be like yelling at my TV, like he's not even a linebacker; he's a defensive end. That's when the that's when the lines were blurred uh, for those positions. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, was Quentin Jammer on that on that team? Oh yeah, yeah. He only had one interception that year, but he was there all year. I love Donnie that. Edwards had five interceptions. Let's see. Steve Foley had 10 sacks for him. Antonio Gates had a big, big year that year in 2004. It was his first big year. 964 yards, 13 touchdowns. How, how unfortunate is it for Antonio Gates that, like, right after, like, his career is over, he's, like, almost immediately considered, like, him and Tony Gonzalez is, like, the greatest of all time at their position. And then they're immediately preceded by, like, Gronk and Kelsey, where everybody's like, nope. <laughs> it's kind of brutal. They didn't even get, didn't even like enjoy their moment in the sun. Yeah, they, they, nope. They got no time. NFL's not not waiting around. Going into 2004, Chargers were plus 8,000 to win the Super Bowl, and their over under was four and a half. Goodness gracious. Yeah, four and 12 the year before. Did, uh, did Drew Brees start for him in 2003 as well? Or? Yeah, he started uh, every game, I believe. But 11 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. <laughs> it kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. But so this 04 Chargers team, 13-1-2 against the spread. On average, they were one-point dogs. And they won by an average of eight points. Like, that is just a stupid stat. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that they were one-point dogs on average as a 12-4 and team. Like, I don't know if it was just the time where Vegas doesn't adjust, but I feel like nowadays, if a team has like a, a four game run, like their their lines get so inflated where it's like, they should be either like a pick em or like a, a point to two point dog. And then like the line opens up and they're a two and a half, three point favorite. This team started three and three with some like, they lost by one point to the Falcons. Lost to the Broncos by 10, only scoring 13 points. Like, they, they didn't instill a lot of confidence early in the season. And then they went on a tear, winning 9 of 10. So they were probably dogs for, like, half of them. Is that the year they lost to, uh, was it Priest Holmes and the Chiefs in the first round? No, nah, they lost to the Jets in the first round. Jets? J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 brother. Goodness gracious. And that was a that was a Patriots ball, wasn't it? That was the Chad Pennington Jets. Goodness gracious. You you look back from some of those Chargers scenes that like didn't go all the way and you're just like, how? Yeah, the Pats Pats won it all that year over uh over the Eagles. It's it's so crazy looking at like the, the one Chargers fan out there has just got to be so sick. They've had some of the best roster, top-to-bottom teams. Like, if, if you look back, the, probably the past 20 years, 
just take like the best roster from each season like i would i would assume the chargers would fill that spot probably at least five or six times oh dude this team was stacked like with talent that hadn't even arrived yet they had they had ladanian thomas and antonio gates like they were both bona fide studs after this 2004 season but behind lt they had michael turner who went to a few pro bowls himself and sitting on the bench, they had Malcolm Floyd, who is a really darn good receiver in the league. <laughs> like, yeah, there was there was a while that like they had they had three or four running back backed up LT that like went on to have good careers elsewhere. You had the Michael Turner, Darren Sproles left, and then there was one or two other guys that filled in a little bit for LT here and there, then hit free agency and had a nice like three or four year run somewhere else, like. Danny Woodhead. Yeah, they were just pumping out running back. LT was so freaking good. Like, it, it's so crazy that they never even made a Super Bowl. Curse the Chargers, man. They're always going to charge. Chargers going to charge her, man. It's it's wild. Like, that's got to be, like, the most frustrating thing for the Charger fan out there that has to, like, deal with that. <laughs> Another one, though, where we see not just a quarterback who's overachieving what was expected of him, but another run-heavy team. All five of these teams were run heavy, leaned on their defense a fair amount. I think Sean Payton has the balls to like take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands and run the ball in Denver next year. And I think I think if Javonta Williams can stay healthy, like that team can be absolutely nasty, especially if Rex Ryan's run that defense. Yeah, he just uh, he interviewed Matt Patricia today too. I don't know if Rex Ryan's trying to do anything. <laughs> Matt Patricia's not a bad DC either, so. All right, so here are is the top 20, I believe, teams against the spread since 2003. So outside of those top six that we already went through, 2022 Giants are sitting at seven. So they just had another run-heavy team with a quarterback who exceeded expectations. 2022 Lions, man, that was, oh man, we love Lions on here and good to see them there. Yeah, uh, 21 Cowboys are on here. Mike McCarthy's actually kind of littered all over this list and he's in three different spots. Yeah, I mean, Mike McCarthy gets a lot of shit, but he wins a lot of games. And then Tom Coughlin with the 2008 Giants. That shouldn't surprise anybody. But again, run heavy team with a quarterback who everyone kind of laughed at. Um, 22 Bengals. No one laughed at Joe Burrow. That's just because they're really freaking good. 2018 Bears. The 22 Bengals being on this list is crazy whenever you look at the fact that I don't think they covered like the first five weeks. Yeah. They just went on a tear. Yeah. 2018 Bears, good defense, run-heavy offense with a quarterback who everyone thought sucked. Didn't end up being that good, but... Almost every single one of these teams had a, had a running back. 2008 Titans with Chris Johnson. 2011 Saints, was that Reggie and uh, maybe Mark Ingram? I don't remember. It had to Might be. Might be too early for Mark Ingram. It had to be Reggie, though. Yeah, Reggie was definitely still there. That might have been the Mark Ingram year. Almost all the, like, there's almost a really strong trend here of quarter, quarterbacks who the league turns a meme into and a run-heavy offense. <laughs> Who's the quarterback of the 08 Titans team with Chris Johnson? Uh, Kerry Collins. Goodness gracious. Vince Young uh, had, had some issues in the offseason and didn't play at all. Is that when he, like, threw his pads into the stands and cussed out all the fans and stuff i like think that. there was a, there was a whole big mess around it. i think there was a lot of mental health stuff going on and the titans like you look at you look at derrick henry now and his domination then you look at like what chris johnson did and 
just find a quarterback and then they who did they take in that in that Mahomes draft? They took a took a receiver, didn't they? Oh, Corey Davis. Corey Davis, man. Like you look at that Mahomes draft and you look at like almost every single team that passed on Mahomes and Watson needed a quarterback. Dude, look look at these quarterbacks. Like outside of the guys that we already talked about. Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott, Eli Manning. I mean, Joe Burrow and Dak aren't don't really belong on there. But Trubisky, Kerry Collins, Derek Anderson, Drew Brees probably doesn't count here. But um, Joe Flacco, Case Keenum, Jake Plummer, Jared Goff. Like, I mean, you get your Rodgers in there and Brees and a few others. But like, for the most part, these are quarterbacks the league just took as a joke and like really did have some some potential. So what you're saying is a team, most of, most of these had good coaches too. So like a team with a good coach, uh, a mediocre quarterback that can get it done for you, a team that can run the ball and play good defense. Yeah. And so another big factor was they weren't embarrassing the year before. They weren't good, but they weren't embarrassing. Yeah. Like I forget what the benchmark I used for it was. I think it was like a they, they covered at like 40% and won like – above 30% of their games. So not a hugely difficult benchmark, but just enough to not be, you're not number one pick or anything like that. And I mean, most of them had the luck of the division being kind of weak that year. I mean, there's a couple of outliers in there, but I mean, for the most part, if if your division's down, that helps out a lot too. I'm trying to think next year, like teams that could make a run like that. I mean. So here was the most to least likely that I found. And the Jets, so teams who do not have a clear quarterback situation, I just assumed they'd have a nothing at quarterback, basically. <laughs> I just, I, I took that factor out. But if the Jets get Carr. The Jets quite possibly have the best roster in the NFL outside of quarterback right now. Yeah. And then, like, the Browns, if Deshaun Watson in year two there could exceed, like, everyone could just be like, he sucks now. He kind of goes on a tear against the spread. Uh, Jags, I don't think this will apply to because Trevor Lawrence – is really good and everyone knows he's really good but with the questions around Tua in Miami they could be really interesting against the spread mm-hmm. next year. Yeah Miami was another team I was thinking of. And then Carolina and Washington are both we need and Vegas really <laughs> and New Orleans. A lot of these you need we need to see the quarterback kind of yeah. settle. Basically it's what, what you had just said team who can run the ball has a good defensive roster and the quarterback who's gonna gonna get them over a hump doesn't have to be the dude he can just be a guy i love the jets next season if they can if they can find anybody to throw the rock for him i mean outside of like carson wentz like if they could just get any competent veteran in there maybe they go after like lamar Carr, rogers i don't know someone like the jets could be so damn good next year yeah now one other trend that None of these teams had. Very, I, I think only one was a rookie quarterback. Don't count on a rookie quarterback to be your spread savior. Outside of like what the 2016 Cowboys, Dak's rookie year, but even that, the I mean, they didn't make this list. So even though my similarity score doesn't it doesn't really say the Broncos, I think I'm with you on the Broncos. I think they're the they're the team to really watch against the spread next year. Yeah, I mean the division's rough, but I think. I think you can get some value on them early in the season. And then assuming that Sean Payton doesn't cave to what Russ wants to do and just 
stays true to what he wants yeah. to do, I think that offense can be nasty. I mean, you got you got Jerry Judy, you got Alberto, I mean, you got. Does that sound that dissimilar from the 2011 49ers of Jim Harbaugh coming in and saying, this is how we're doing things and sit down and shut up or you can leave? <laughs> if they can just get Russell Wilson to basically play the same style he was playing under Pete Carroll, which he didn't like, but he was highly productive, then they can really make a run. But I mean, that division's so tough with the Chargers and the Chiefs in there. And then, I mean, the Raiders, I don't know what the Raiders are going to be, but like, they're not going to, you're not going to be able to walk over them by any means. We'll see. But I like the Broncos a lot. I mean, you know, you know how much I love Javante Williams and Jerry Judy already. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be exciting. We got what? Six and a half more months. Count down the days. <laughs> but I mean, the draft, the draft is very interesting for some of these teams. Like you look at the Colts, uh, what the Lions are going to do. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of these teams where I love it. Uh, I'm so excited to get into draft talk here in the next couple of weeks. But that's going to be it for today. Remember, remember, model, 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 model. On the website, shaven-points.com, it, it's hot. It's so hot right now. I mean, just just lay your bets, forget about them, and you'll wake up with money. It's, it's incredible. That sells itself. <laughs> All right, well... We'll see y'all again here pretty soon. And as always, we appreciate you guys for listening, watching, and being there with us. Absolutely. Don't sleep on the lines, boys. Don't do it.